You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where hat and t-shirt season never ends. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. Thankfully for all of you and, and for me, uh, this will not be a solo excursion into the midside. Uh, my schedule cleared up a little bit because my, my parents have left Florida and returned to Massachusetts. Uh, I think that's a mistake, but you all know where I stand on that. And in fact, there was actually a debate about that this week. Florida versus California. We'll get into that a little bit later. But first, I have to bring in my co-host and congratulate him. Joining me this trip from his corner office, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, William, hello. Before, I was going to say before you say that, but that's fine. You always have to say that. I, do. I just wanted to congratulate you on the Big Ten Championship and clinching the number one seed in the college football playoff. Finally, finally. I figured, I think I texted you guys, you uh, texted the thread that uh, I figured they would figure a way to make us number two, but somehow we've, we're finally number one. So, uh, my, no, was... I actually think you did get screwed though. Yeah. Uh, I think they screwed you by having you go against Alabama, who's arguably yeah. the hottest yeah. team in the country. And I think they should have put, for the sake of seeding and for the sake of the playoffs, they should have put Texas and Alabama as the two and three seed because they've already played each other and they're both conference champions and they both have one loss. And then you should have gone against FSU in the first round of the, uh, or yeah, you should have gone against FSU, but it's all, yeah. all screwed up because the media has always loved the Pac 12. And then the Pac-12 has always underperformed. So yeah. you should have either played, uh, you should have either played Washington or Florida State in the first round. Yeah, definitely. Whoever wins the Rose Bowl is winning the national championship. There's no question there. Yeah, well, that's the that is the national championship game right there. Yeah. And then the other game is sort of a formality. But this is also William. Why this is good? This is the last year of only four teams. Because yeah. there needs to be many, many more teams in the playoffs this year. I mean, Georgia deserves to be in, right? Florida State was left out. Yep. Yeah. But uh, man, my, you know, talking with my family on, uh, we always uh, Facetime during the uh, during the games during the Michigan games. Um, my most of my family, of course, died in the wool. Uh, Maize and blue fans, they could not stand it. it. Was the same terrible announcers that they were for the Ohio State game. I don't know if you listened in on the game, Justin, but man, they just, uh, they are, the, whoever the announcers are, I mean, give me back Greasy. I, I think he did the uh, earlier game. Um, uh, but man, oh man, they just are, are not anything Michigan does. They had it, the, the defense had a shutout game. Okay. Right. No scoring happened. All they were doing was ripping on the Michigan defense. <laughs> I'm like, what game are you watching? <laughs> I think sports announcers are 
perfect examples of how we get stuck in narratives like Scott Adams always talks about because their entire job nowadays is no longer to call the games. It is to tell narratives, weave narratives in order to get people invested. However, the problem is when you're only thinking of narratives, you get stuck in the narratives. And this has been happening for a long, long time, but we're just seeing the extreme of it right now. I mean, think of how long it was Peyton Manning was better than Tom Brady. Yeah. And, Now it's the same thing, right? Ohio State, how long were they good for? And Ohio State's better than Michigan, and we can't we can't like Michigan. And I think that's what you're sort of bucking up against yeah. with all of these camera allegations, these cheating allegations. And I think you're on the other side of it, which is why you're sort of, you know, very harshly responding to it. Because these people, these announcers, they can't get past the narratives when they're watching any game. I mean, today in the Patriots game, they were trying to make Bailey Zappi for the first two quarters into a good quarterback because they wanted the narrative of the Patriots season to be, oh, Mac Jones is terrible when, look, did Bailey Zappi play okay? Yeah, he played okay, but he was severely inaccurate. He only had a couple drives where he got caught or got hot. However, the main problem is nobody was blocking for him and no receivers were getting open or catching the ball. And, Perhaps, William, maybe that's why Mac Jones was getting so frustrated and why he looked bad. But the point I'm making is the announcers are still obsessed with this narrative that Mac Jones is the problem. And that's what happens is we're such a narrative driven culture now that people don't see things objectively and they get stuck in their narratives rather than watching what's actually going on. They went into that game, the Michigan game with the idea that, Oh, Michigan's defense is going to cost them this game. And when it didn't, they didn't know how to get off of that narrative. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now the offense didn't perform very well, but part of me is wondering if that's a little bit of 4d chess. Like they didn't show any, any fancy plays this game. And you got to think they're holding; they were holding back uh, against this team, against Iowa. I, I didn't watch the game, but to me, the Big Ten has never been really an offensively driven conference, which makes it surprising to me that they've got the narrative that Michigan's defense sucks. So the whole thing seems very strange to me. I would say in college football, more than in the pros, teams just have good and bad days. And maybe the offense just didn't have a great day. Yeah, well, our quarterback had a good day, that's for sure. And uh, no, not a lot of scoring, but, you know, I I think overall, you know, defense had two uh, forced turnovers. Special teams look good. I don't know. I think we're in a good spot. Uh, I'm uh, wondering if I can uh, get any Rose Bowl tickets. The answer is probably no, but I'll still think about it and dream about it. Uh, you should go up there and see if you can. You might be able to scalp some right after kickoff or something. It's it's yeah. worth checking out. Those are once-in-lifetime experiences, especially because it's Michigan, Alabama, and yeah. no one in L.A. is going to care about that. And if there's one city that you can get cheaper tickets for a game like that, it's going to be L.A., Pasadena. I mean, remember when I went to the Red Sox clinching the World yeah. Series? Yeah. because. The Dodgers fans all sold their tickets, and I got $200 tickets to Game 6 of the World Series because it's L.A. That's the only city that's going to help happen in. So you should you should definitely go and check that out because 
don't worry about momentum, man. You guys are you're in the best position because you're in the playoff. Yep. You're in the, the those are the four teams in the best position. What happens from now on is what happens from now on, but they've earned the opportunity. Let's see what happens. Yep. And we can also say people who have participated in a lot of farce this week have earned the opportunity to be discussed on our show. Let's see what happens in Life on the Midside. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all support, including, and perhaps most of all, affirmations. The first bit of farce I wanted to talk about this week, William, is something that I'm not even sure why this is being reported on. It's very, very strange to me, but it's also, as I read it, it's sort of like if this was a movie or like an episode of Law and Order, I would be intrigued by it because it's just so insane. And I use the term insane because I think there's a lot of mental health involved here. So the rap has an article titled, Michael Latt's accused killer also stalks Sundance winner A.V. Rockwell. William, had you heard either of those names before this story? No, I have no idea who these people are, even after researching this story a bit. Well, that's what I mean. And I see these pictures and everything of these people. I have no idea who they are. So my first thing is, why are you reporting on this as if this is actually news? It's very strange to me. So it's the, the article starts here. The woman charged with killing Michael Latt, the social activist and son of two prominent Hollywood parents... To which, again, I go, who? Stalked A.V. Rockwell, the director of Sundance winner, 1001, according to the Los Angeles DA and court documents. Jamela Michael was charged Thursday with shooting and killing Lat, son of Sundance Institute director Michael Satter and film producer David Lat. The DA said she killed him due to his friendship with a woman that Michael was stalking. Wait, so this woman, Jamela, was stalking the director and stalking another woman? I, I, I just, I, I don't understand any of this. Yeah. Because it seems <laughs> so insider baseball. And what I mean by that is these people clearly have prominence somewhere in the Hollywood community, but this is not something that the mainstream is knowledgeable about. So not only do we have this idea that we're, we're seeing the inner workings of this incestuous community we're not supposed to, or we don't normally know about, but also we're seeing how their ideas, I think, are kind of turning back on themselves. And what I mean by that is, here's a couple more paragraphs. Rockwell claimed in the restraining order, so that's the director, the Sundance winning director, in the restraining order request that Michael, Jamela, harassed her on Twitter and Instagram, fabricating posts from anonymous accounts and doctoring images to falsely represent her 
quote, insulting high-profile black women, some of whom I, who I have worked with professionally. So now we're, repeat, we're reporting on things that happen on social media? And more quotes here. She falsely implied that I once sold drugs and hate black men in order to publicly damage my reputation, the request continued. Her clear goal is to sabotage my public image, derail my career, hurt the release of my movie, and ruin my professional relationships. All right, I'm definitely getting that that drop. That you sell drugs and hate black men. (laughs) Oh, great. Uh, (laughs) Talk about dropping context. (laughs) But that's what this is complaining about, too, is like, uh, like, hold on. Could I, it be I, I, all just a a, a, a smear against X? <laughs> like, you know, like, because that's really in the news cycle right now. Could that literally be the only reason why X allows this I mean, to happen? It, like, <laughs> it might be, even though this was all on Twitter before it was X, right before Elon yeah, Musk yeah. even owned it. But but that's part of what I was going to say is. If we take this at face value, we don't assume there's something else going on here, which I think in a moment you're going to point to there may be something else going on here. Isn't this really people too concerned with all of this secondhanded image and collectivist ideology? Because first of all, people say heinous shit all the time on Twitter. I mean, this is something, I mean, for instance, that people still ask Zack Snyder about in the, in interviews about now and now Rebel Moon when they talk about the Snyder cut. And he basically says, you know, I'm not going to discuss the way people interact on social media. There's, there's good and bad in it, but there was a lot of good that was done by the Snyder cut movement. Isn't this the same thing here? Like, why are we reporting on people saying, heinous shit online why are we going to the police with people saying heinous shit online but then on the other hand if this person really did do that is this an example of social media increasing someone's mental problems i'm not saying causing but it's clear to me and we've discussed it before over the, the the length of this podcast the existence of this podcast people who have mental problems get in the echo chamber of social media where a, they read what they write as if having it on the screen concretely makes it real. And, you know, we'll get into that in the the story about sports illustrated a little bit. And also they find people, however rare they are who share the same beliefs as as them, right? We've talked about this with, for instance, the incel community, right? There were always people who were like, Oh, you know, women don't really like me. It's really hard for me to get the attention of women. But there were never incels until social media. Isn't this perhaps an example of that? Except now it's the woke culture turning in on itself. So I do think there's some interesting stuff here, but I this is being discussed the angle of like these are celebrities and that's the tragedy here, not like yeah. Oh, there's mental illness involved. Yeah, I think you're 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 hitting the nail on the head here, Justin, because like this this story should be not about this crazy these crazy Hollywood insiders that nobody cares about. It should or be knows. about How, we've never yeah, heard of these people. No, never. Uh, <laughs> and and we know about, a little bit about Hollywood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um but 
dude, it takes until the last third of the article before we get to really see what the real theme of the article should have been about all along, which is like you said, mental mental health. Like they they show the deranged letter. They have you know quotes from like uh, you know my Glock is loaded as I write this. One pull of the trigger and I'll be free. Um, sending apparently Rockwell also received numerous gifts from um, this uh, Mitchell Mickle whatever, including an Aladdin necklace, uh, a Best Director Ever mug, and a Black Black Lives Matter hoodie, and a photo of Langston Hughes. So first of all. I don't. Uh, if you're sending anyone a Black Lives Matter hoodie, you ov- obviously should be put in a, into a mental institution. Um, you got to wonder though if if the fact that uh, Rockwell didn't wear the Black Lives Matter hoodie is the reason why this uh, mentally deranged person decided that uh, she didn't like black men or whatever it was. But um, yeah, I, it, this is definitely it, this is definitely stalking obsessive behavior, right? Like this is, this fits into that and it gets back to what we've been talking about all along. Uh, in California, there's no recourse, you know, like, the, like getting the restraining order. I guess that might've worked maybe for Rockwell question mark, but this person needed help, right? The, all of this is saying this person needed help. Right. Because maybe the restraining order protected Rockwell, but then clearly it probably wasn't Rockwell, even though Rockwell was the subject right. of the psychosis or whatever. Yeah. She she shifted who the psychosis was to someone else who then became the victim here. So the situation now we again. So, yeah, several things we talked about. Woke culture, social media culture. Now we have California culture contributing to this as well. The idea that there's no treatment no proper handling of people with actual mental health issues. Right. Because right. To, a, to they, call out that you're living in your car as a possible symptom of mental health issues that you cannot say in California. If you right. write weird letters like this, or I know I joked about it, but if you're gifting random strangers, black lives matter hoodies, I'm putting that in the, in the evidence pile of you might have a mental health issue. Okay. But we, well, we're not to, allowed to say for context. Things. A.V. Rockwell is a, is a black woman, just to be clear. So it's not completely out of the realm of, but I get what you're saying. If, if I give some, a total stranger, some, or someone I've met one time or so, a boss at a former job, some overtly political hoodie, I'm sorry, Justin, I'm just going to put that in the category of you might have a mental health issue. So not to create controversy on our own show, but aren't there many, many people in the online objectivist movement who would do that? Give someone a Black Lives Matter a hoodie? Not a Black Lives Matter hoodie, but an overtly (laughs) political hoodie that's something that might say, who is John Galt or something of that nature. But that would just be one item, right? You've got to put all these items together. And the point I'm trying to make is we're not allowed to call these items out and say, hey, that's a little bit weird. Right. Or I, I, and you I put would all if somebody those... if somebody gave a random like if if I had randomly sent Zack Snyder a who is John Galt hoodie, that would be fucking weird, wouldn't it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> OK, so we're in agreement that it, it, it doesn't matter the politics here. It's yeah. weird to send a political hoodie to someone. Exactly. It's even weirder that it's Black Lives Matter because the director's black, because A, that's racist and B, all the bullshit around Black Lives Matter. Yeah. So I wanted to I wanted to point out one other absurdity as we move away from this mental illness. Um. 
Justin, you and I spent, even during the pre-show, we cannot find any information on this supposedly mentally ill homeless person. And, like, the the letters are there, but I have a feeling that came from Rockwell um, uh, to the reporter here. Um, we don't know anything about this uh, person at all, right? It's it's there, there. There's no pictures. There's no background. There's... I feel like it... It's it's very much reminds me of the Nashville shooter, the Nashville school shooter, where it's almost like we're protecting we're protecting the mentally ill people after they've committed a crime, but not before. And I have a feeling, yeah. Justin, we're going to have something. Something's going to come up. We're going to discover something about this that hopefully maybe could turn the issue back to mental health. But I, there's something with this person that is there's just a big gaping hole in the information even uh, what five six days later after this the story broke something weird is going on yeah and i think the important point about what you're saying about turning it back to mental health is not saying like oh this is a, a mental health problem it's it's the problem is how we're dealing with it. And it's what yeah. you just said. Yeah. Why is after someone commits a crime against innocent people, why are the guilty people being protected? Now, I understand it's innocent and so proven guilty. I'm not talking about legally innocent or guilty. I'm talking about people who are accused of crimes. Why is their identity all of a sudden being protected? Yeah. Well, there's be... a law in California. I, I talked about this pre-show. There's a law in California. You cannot release mugshots anymore. The, well, the... But, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's, that is a... I have no other way to say it besides that's a social justice-based approach. That is a collectivist-based approach yeah. to lawmaking. Yeah. Well, we are protecting think about this it, class think about of it. people. If, you, if you're someone who believes in individual rights... You you want the mugshots to be as public as possible because you want to know who the government has in their custody, right? They could be lying about that's the identity a great of who they too. have in their custody. That's, that's a the great whole point, point too. of mugshots. It's yeah. a check and balance thing. It's not a. It's not a, like yes, it ends up you know smearing people and may taint the jury pool, but like it, all those all those things are irrelevant because the whole point is to check the power of government. That's the most important thing. Right, which actually gets even more sketchy when we're talking about this sort of like insider Hollywood group here. You know, as we saw with all the Jeffrey Epstein stuff, yeah. we don't really know what's going on in these hyper-political organizations with all this influence, money, and power. And now this person is sort of being unpersoned. So you raise a great point of not only are they not protecting the innocent victims and the innocent people in the culture who these people endanger, but also the accused, are, they're not even fulfilling their goal of protecting their accused of the accused. Yeah. They're actually making things more dangerous for the accused because people can just disappear now. Yep. So crazy story. We'll keep an eye on it. I'm going to make a Google alert for this crazy name. Cause it's pretty easy. Maybe we'll, maybe something more will come up before. Uh, hopefully, and hopefully, break. hopefully we can provide an update for it. And unfortunately we'll probably be during the season break because we've only got two more episodes after this one and one is our season ending show so but we can continue to talk about california here because william 
something snuck up on me and it was actually my wife who told me about it because she's from California and she lives in Florida and she's sort of going through it right now. And what I mean by that is she's not like homesick or anything, but a lot of her premises in life and her accepted truths were challenged during the pandemic when we were, uh, I moved here and I, I lived here alone for a year and it was during the pandemic. And even after the pandemic, when she lived here and would go back to California, California was still closed and Florida was open. You know, first of all, when she came here, I think I've told this story before, Florida was open and I was like, what do you want to do? She's like, I just want to go out to eat and go to the mall. Like, we're not allowed to do that in California, like normal things. (laughs) And then when we would go home, I'll remember when we would go to see her home and her family for Christmas, there were fast food restaurants where there was police tape around the outside seating at fast food joints because you're allowed to go in and buy the food, but they don't want you to stay like, so she's been questioning a lot. So she wanted to firsthand and this, you know, this speaks well of her that she wanted to firsthand watch the two governors because she's aware of all the, you know, DeSantis and Newsom talk, but I wasn't even aware of this, that Sean Hannity had a special where it was DeSantis versus Newsom just debating uh, Hannity sold it as who has the better governing philosophy. Did you watch it at all, William? No, I've seen one or two clips posted on X. Do you have any thoughts on anything? Well, I it's it's hard to outsmug Governor Newsom, and he just is so slimy. And I don't know. I don't know if. Justin, who's falling for that? Is it just California people that are falling for that sliminess? Well, right, because what was very clear during this debate is California's echo chamber. And what I mean by that is Newsom says the things that are going to appeal to the people who already agree with the things he's saying. So when he says it, people are just going to be like, yeah, that's right. But if you're not in that echo chamber, you realize he's not saying anything. Like things would be spun completely where, you know, they were saying like the crime rate per capita is higher in California than Florida. And then DeSantis is like, yeah, but Jacksonville has more murders than San Francisco. It's like he cherry picks the statistic. But if you're in the California echo chamber, you'd be like, yeah, that's right. Cause they're, they're low class and they're backward Southerners over there in Jacksonville. And yeah, it's, the left has figured out, and it's embodied in Newsom, and we saw it with Obama, and we saw it in by we see it in Biden, and honestly, we see it in Trump. Trump just took the left's tactic and does it with the right to appeal to the echo chamber that already exists. And it, it if you're critically thinking, it's not going to work. Yeah. Well, I saw DeSantis pull out the poop map too. Yeah. Well, and. <laughs> That was my problem with the entire debate. So besides the fact that prop DeSantis comedy? was... I'm not a huge right. fan of prop comedy. <laughs> Unless it's Florida resident Carrot Top. <laughs> he lives, here, he lives he, here in Orlando. There's always there's always someone who who can take a genre and make it, make it art. But that's also because Carrot Top is like a completely eccentric person. Like he, he's that unique person. Like you said, you got to be very unique. But yep. yeah, it's... Here's it's it's just the problem with debates in general, man, is they were too worried about mic dropping each other 
like it's a rap battle. And it, this, you know, this was my problem with um, Hamilton, where they have the rap battles, which are supposed to be the debates of the of the merits of the central banking system, but it's them just insulting each other. And it's the same thing here. Like, yeah, I thought DeSantis had better points because reality was on his side. And I think at this point, anyone with any sort of objectivity knows the way DeSantis has run Florida has been much more in line with reality than the way Newsom has run California. And that's not to defend everything DeSantis has done. I mean, we've been critical of DeSantis many times on this show. Yeah. But he still was only trying to get mic drop moments on Newsom. Like when he told the story about Newsom's father-in-law and the poop map. And it's just, what does a poop map really tell you about the governing philosophy of DeSantis versus the governing policy of Newsom? It doesn't, it doesn't debate the principles at stake. It's, it all becomes purely pragmatic. And that was my problem with the entire debate was at a certain point, it was like the farce here is you want to talk about witnessing the farce. The farce here is this is just intellectual masturbation. This is like, Oh, I'm just going to look cool. And I don't know. Have political debates always been this way? Or is this just Twitter, social media, has now become what political debates are. I think I think it's you know soundbite soundbite stuff you know just just aiming for soundbites, aiming for the late night shows. Um. So yeah, some of that is tactical. Um. I don't know. Are we going to get back? Like as the debate gets nearer, you know, Trump kind of stirred things up and caused uh, a lot of you know when all his soundbites were funny insults, right? But I don't think DeSantis or Newsom, heaven forbid, can pull that that kind of thing off. So I think emulating Trump in this way is not going to work uh, for them. So I I don't know. I'm trying to think, like, how far back, Justin, do you have to go before a debate actually talked about ideas? Are we are we going to have to go all the way back to Reagan? Maybe even before? I, I don't know. And that, that will be something and, really and when interesting. When I'm talking Reagan here, I'm talking like, Reagan Goldwater, right? Like, yeah. Do we have to go back that far? Yeah. I mean, maybe, but that's something that someone who has more of a historical expertise than either of us could answer. Because I... Yeah. And to, go, and to, and to use your, your Hamilton point in reverse, um, politics has always been about insulting your opponent. So, uh, so asking for more ideas here, this is not the right... This is not the right venue or medium for that sort of thing and dude have the debates ever really been that big of an impact maybe with dukakis right it kind of tanked his uh you his said campaign. cock i did um yeah so i don't think the debates actually matter i mean everyone thought nikki haley was the last republican debate i mean she she she's pulling a full hillary i don't know what's going on and that's really what the issue is here. Don't really know what's going on with any of this. I've never in my life seen a presidential candidate debate a non-presidential candidate by trying to claim he is going to be a presidential candidate. And that's his rationale for having the debate, which then is a conspiracy theory about Joe Biden. Look, I think Joe Biden is old. Do I necessarily believe these conspiracy theories that they are going to get rid of him or they expect him to die. And that's why Harris is his VP. And then Harris would run or Newsom would run. No, but 
that doesn't excuse the mental state of Joe Biden, but it's interesting that all of these things are public now, right? That that's part of the debate. It's just, yeah, that's the farce here is that this even happened. I, I was going to add onto that, but I don't, I don't think there's anything to add. I, it's I that it so. even happened is the farce. Is it not? Yeah. <laughs> well, and the longer, the longer this goes on, the more Vivek uh, quotes, uh, quotes uh, Alex Epstein. So I'm all for it. All right. Well, something I'm not all for is the degeneration of journalism and the continued misunderstanding, I think, of the relationship between AI and humanity. William, so one of the big stories that broke this week is apparently Sports Illustrated has been using a lot of bots to write articles for it. And they, they've had fake authors. And this became a huge controversy. And there was an interesting Washington Post editorial that said what Sports Illustrated's botgate really means for journalism. First of all, William, did you realize that Sports Illustrated had fallen this far? I I think that I had suspected, but I I think this really brought it into focus because I was trying to think what's the last big Sports Illustrated thing that has, you know, news that they broke or anything like that. And I really couldn't think of anything. So I think this really brought it into focus. If you had just asked me before this story, like what I thought about Sports Illustrated, I'd be like, eh, they've kind of fallen off. But yeah, this really brings it into focus, at least for me. Right. Because, and I don't even want to talk about news with Sports Illustrated, William. Sports Illustrated always had amazing long form pieces that discussed the humanity behind sports, yeah. the philosophy behind sports. And I think that melds perfectly with what I'm saying is the missing point here. So here's the last two paragraphs of this article. It starts by referring to the, the publication, the online publication, Bloomberg. Bloomberg shifted to automated earnings headlines in 2013 and has used AI to create its earning summaries since 2018. It also employs more journalists and analysts now than it did back then, some 2,700, all of whom get to do more interesting work than writing earnings headlines and summaries. That's the dream, right? AI does the annoying stuff while human beings get to chase our curiosity. It won't work out that cleanly everywhere. Bloomberg is better funded than um, everything, let alone SI. And SI's problem is that its owners and renters don't appear to care about quality journalism. And then it goes on to make a reference to other things. Uh, It says, but there's a lesson in the rubble of their reputation. We might need a few definitely not people to let the people flourish. And here's where I disagree, William. And I'm actually going to raise a point that Adam Carolla talks about all the time is psychologically for human beings. And I'm translating it into JML terms here to coach L terms here. Psychologically, there's a value to doing things as a human being. You know, Ayn Rand talked about being productive, but Adam Carolla as a carpenter talks about it much more concretely. He says there's a value to building things. And I think that value extends beyond concretely doing things with your hand. 
I think there's a value to writing headlines and writing summaries. It's producing. It's creating. That's how we survive as human beings. That's how we gather self-esteem. And if we're calling that annoying stuff and we're saying what human beings want to do is chase their curiosity, I think what we are doing is we are privileging a certain class of people or a certain type of psychology due to an elitism. An elitism with the idea of someone who is a more abstract thinker or abstractly motivated is necessarily a better, more moral human being. And this is something I think that has always come from the, to, to be very sort of simplistic about it, it has always come from the left. The idea that anyone who's concerned with like working and having a business and, and, and numbers and concretely creating products is, is sort of base and materialistic, right? This is mind-body dichotomy privileging the mind, which we've always seen as coming from the intellectual elites, right? The ivory towers and these institutions saying we need to have a liberal arts education, yeah, I think I think you got a good point here. The, you know, I, I I agree with the article that this kind of offloading of of work is where the value is for AI. So that's what's value for comp- companies. That's what's value for people, right? Like if I have a thousand articles that I need to summarize when I'm doing research, having it go through AI is going to be super helpful. All that being said, um, the example I, I would give is something from my own life. When you're learning uh, computer engineering, there there was a philosophy at my undergrad uh, at Michigan that was uh, to really start start with the circuits and work your way up, and that's the way I I was taught computer engineering. You know, like we made circuits on breadboards, very simple uh, uh, ALU, uh, um, uh, uh, like. Uh, think of it as the math part of the CPU. And then we kind of worked our way up from there. The first couple programs I wrote were in ones and zeros and then, you know, in binary language and then in, and then in assembly. And then we started learning real programming languages. And the whole point of that was to, you know, any programmer today, if they start out in college, they're going to learn a very high level language. They're going to learn Java. They're going to learn uh, C++, they're going to learn Python, they're going to learn very high-level abstract languages. And and Justin, do you know what the result of that is? They have no fucking clue how the computer works, right? They have no idea what a cache miss is until they've learned it, and then they learn it very, um, almost like a floating abstraction, right? Like, they, they, they'll tell you with certainty that one algorithm is better than another, where anyone who's done that bottom-up approach of learning computer engineering will tell you, you have to test it to see, right? Because there, you can't make those kinds of sweeping judgments. Um, well, is it you who said that before? That kids nowadays don't understand computers as well as we do? Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of a reversal of things because it, it used to be yes. the old people didn't know things. Because when we were growing up, we experimented with computers and yeah. we figured things out. Like if we didn't know, we did trial and error. Nowadays, like I can tell you in the classroom, that statement you made that I just summarized is true where kids can't troubleshoot their own computers on basic levels. Their troubleshooting step just, is, is watch a YouTube video. Right. 
because the device is just there for them. They didn't see the development of it. Yeah. And AI is an example of that, where if we get rid of the process and we just give people a piece of technology, it appears to be magic to them because they don't know how it works. And that's the value of education. And what I mean by that is not everybody needs to be an expert in everything, but you should know on a basic level how a TV works, how a cell phone works, how a computer works, how a car works, so that when you drive the car or other people drive the car, it's not just random things happening. Because if it's not explained to you, it's just random things happening, and then you can't interact with the world, which then becomes dangerous for yourself and society at large. And that's... Right. I want to get like super, uh, even even more abstract in uh, in in uh, in what we're talking about here, Justin. I think this tells us uh, this story and our thought uh, that we're on right now tells us how education should be shaped. Uh, and here's what I mean by that: in today's culture, we are so disconnected, right? Like in the past, you wanted to get that that uh, literature and science and, and liberal education to see, to get the thoughts that were all out in the world. Because, you know, if you grew up, you know, in a small village, you may not have had access to those books, right? Like you just couldn't, you didn't have them, right? You didn't have those, that access. Today, we have all the access to that abstract information. The issue is no one is grounded, right? No one knows how to use a wrench or like you said, or to change a spark plug or like, basic plumbing or basic tire yeah change a tire all these like basic things that are physical and 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 even back to my point about computers right and your point about televisions like no one understands how those things work that's what education should focus on um to make sure that people are connected back to reality because otherwise like you said it's all just seems like magic how is it different than you know how is it how is it any different than anyone else um uh, like if a, someone just dropped off a bunch of iPhones to, uh, to, uh, what's that Island? And is it in, off the coast of India or whatever with, with the natives that haven't been, uh, contacted like the zero contact, uh, native tribes, like it, it, it that's the point that we're sort of, uh, accidentally stumbling to. And I think yeah. rather than focus on, Oh, we should have a classical liberal ed- education. Um, it's, it's basically all the things we've been getting rid of, right? Like how to create music. I would go back to that, how to create things like shop and things like that sports and physical education um all those things and those are exactly the things we're dropping yeah and 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 i and i agree i think there's still value to to reading great literature reading great philosophy because i think that those abstract thoughts if taught properly can connect to reality however i i agree completely with what you're saying and kids ask for it they ask for a finance class they want yeah. to know how taxes work. They want to know how paying rent works. They want to know how credit cards work. And they're not taught these things. They want to know how money works. Right? And why not have a financial class where you ta- start with what is trade? What is money? And go forward from that into this is how it works in our society. So I think you can balance the two. Yeah. Speaking of trying to balance the two and education... William, you presented a very, very interesting bit of farce here, which will be our last bit of farce for this week before we go into some movie discussion in regards to Title IX and the private college in Michigan, Hillsdale College. So 
William, I don't know the particulars of the case. There were two young women who were they sexually assaulted or was it never proven? I don't know. So I, I don't know all, all the details, but the way the story presents it is that two women accuse someone of, uh, of uh, at the school as another student of sexual assault. The student was cleared by the college. No okay. criminal charges were filed. Okay. Then so we, the two... Go ahead. Go ahead. No. The, then the two female students filed a Title IX uh, issue and saying that, that they didn't follow Title IX. But that's when we get into the trouble, Justin. Okay. Because, well, yeah. So first of all, I just want to be clear that what I was going to say, and I didn't want to interrupt you, I wanted to let you finish, is we cannot speak to what actually happened. They may or may Correct. not have been sexually assaulted. Yep. All we know is what the college said. And our issue here is not about how people who sexually assault people should be treated or not. Our issue here is the line between public and private and the line between government property and private property. Because, right. correct me if I'm wrong, but Title IX does not apply to private schools, correct? That is correct. It does not apply yeah. to private citizens. It applies to government and where government spends its money, which would include correct. public schools. And to because some extent, the private idea schools is public... that accept public money. Right. Pri private schools that are... Because the idea is saying public money should follow certain rules because it's owned by everyone. It's not under the discretion of the individual rights of the person who owns it. Have I said anything you disagree with? Nope. Sounds good to me. Okay. So these two young women are trying to say Hillsdale College violated Title IX, therefore they're owed money, correct? Yes. Okay. Here is the issue. They are based on the language I'm going to read here, setting a dangerous legal precedent or trying to set a dangerous legal precedent in order to just get money. And I think that this is something that people don't realize has happened in our culture is our culture is so litigious that lawyers are creating laws by getting courts to legislate from the bench in order to get payouts so they're looking for short-term gains, not thinking about what actually applies to the principles overall. And what I mean by is, this is a quote here from the article, from an article by the Wall Street Journal about this. The lawsuit seeks to impose Title IX strictures on Hillsdale, arguing that the college's tax-exempt status under Section 501c of the tax code operates as a subsidy, which is a form of federal financial Assistance. Now, here's where this is dangerous, William. They're saying when you are not taxed, that's a subsidy. Yes. That implies that taxed money is owned by the government. It that implies... Goes, it even goes further than that, doesn't it, Justin? That implies that 100% of my earnings, if, if I'm only taxed 99% instead of 100%, that that's a subsidy. Correct. Which implies there's no such thing as private property. Yeah. Because everything is owned by the government, which is a collective organization, which represents the society as a whole. So therefore, everything owns is owned by the group 
owned by the, the culture, not owned by the individual, which contradicts natural rights. So this entire lawsuit is going against the very philosophy America was founded on. If this now this lawsuit doesn't have to be accepted, it could be rejected. But if it is accepted, doesn't that set dangerous precedent where the this can be legal precedent to say that there is no private property? I think it could. I mean, we'll have to get uh, Daniel's uh, comments on this. I think he was surprised by it, too, when I posted it. Um, yeah, I don't think I, I hope this argument doesn't go anywhere. But the fact that someone is even making this argument and thinking they won't get laughed out of court for it is is pretty startling. Right. This is literally saying, hey, you you're a nonprofit and therefore you're getting a subsidy and therefore we can control what you do. The only other the only other thing that you would stand on then if this was given up was religious freedoms, right? But even then you're, you're, you know, now, now you're going back to, you're, you're, you're giving up a bunch of other of your rights and only standing on the first amendment. Like it's, that's, that, that's really, really dystopian. Right. Because what they're equivocating on is the word assistance and the word subsidy. What they're saying is, a lack of assistance is a form of assistance. Does that make sense? Yeah. They're saying yeah. the state of nature is being assisted. And that's the equivocation. When you're defining the word based upon whether it happens or not is the word. So a subsidy, which is a form of federal assistance. Well, they're saying non-tax or they're saying tax exempt is a subsidy. So tax exempt is not taxed. So tax exempt is assistance. So how is the government not doing something to you? Assistance. That's like saying, if I don't punch you in the face, that's me assisting you to be healthy. <laughs> yeah, that's a, you're assisting my nose from not being broken. Right. That's the equivocation here is inaction is a form of action. Do you understand the argument I'm making? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Us, us inaction, not, not murdering you is therefore assisting you in living. It is literally and, the same argument that criminals make, right? Yeah. I'm going to not and, murder you now. So pay me. Right. And that's called extortion. Is it not? Yeah. Or robbery, depending on the context. Right. So again, exposing taxes as extortion and exposing that they're trying to extort using this argument. But yeah. that's, that's what it's, it's just, it's so dangerous. Cause I get like, you can get why someone might fall for this, right? Oh, well, we're not taxing you. So we're helping you out because everyone has to pay taxes. Yeah. But <laughs> that's because we've given the premise away that everyone has to pay taxes. Cause again, we've given the premise away that taxation is not theft. Yeah. Taxation is theft. Then I don't disavow that. Well, that actually is the uh, the perfect transition, because if you listened to my solo episode last week, you noted that I said that Wish is taxation is theft the movie. And William has some comments he would like to make about Wish. Let's talk about that in The Hopeful Romantic with JML. Episodes. I can't find a new pitch to throw the studio. 
wasn't focused on. As always, when the year comes to a close, everyone loves to do their year-end award specials, and so do we. In two episodes, we will be having the Farce Awards, and that involves your input. So head into the Discord, and you will see the link in there for your nominations and votes for the awards this year. Really would appreciate your participation, especially in the Farce Award, where you get to pick the most farcical story of the year. We've had some votes already. Head over to the midside.com and midside.com slash podcast. Click on any episode link. And in there, you'll find the Discord join code. And you can uh, you can listen in and and vote. So go ahead, listen to us live and click on the link and vote for the Narcissus of the Year, the Romantic Manifestation of the Year, all of our typical categories. So William, last week I rendered my opinion on Wish and I liked it very much. I had I did have some problems with it, but I thought it was an excellent movie, and I thought it was perhaps a turn for Disney in, in a positive direction. However, you are much more critical of it. Yeah. Now, I haven't seen it yet, and after listening to your review, uh, I'm definitely going to see it. The issue I have had is watching the reviews and people that I trust and the clips that they are presenting— just showing absolutely awful visuals, bad uh, animation, like uh, not not even bothering to animate the bottom of the horses, um, uh, shots where everyone's in the center third of the screen, which we know is just super boring. And I know part of this is kind of doing the combo 3D, 2D animation style. Things look very watercolorly, and you know that's a stylistic choice, whatever. But just from everything I've seen it all, you know, compare that to if this is supposed to be a hundred year uh, anniversary tribute to Walt, why is it animated so poorly? I can pick any, I can pick a, any frame from Fantasia or from Aladdin even. And it's a work of art, right? Don't say Aladdin even. Aladdin is a work of genius. Well, the 3D animation didn't age too well. But other than that one caveat, right? But that's what I'm saying. I'm picking other films that are iconically, you know, I mean, obviously Walt wasn't alive for Aladdin, but but I'm picking from different eras on purpose here, right? These are all all things that where the visuals are overly stressed. And we know from leaks and research by uh, some of the... uh, alternative news media for Hollywood, where I get a lot of my rumors and stories that this, this film was absolutely rushed in, in, in the animation. Um, and so I I think we know why that's not important to this part of the review, but, um, but the, the animation is just way subpar. And so that I, Justin, if it hadn't been for your review, I would not have bothered just on that fact alone, because to me, it's almost insulting to have something so poorly done visually and then claim it's uh, a tribute to Walt. So that's 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 what I've heard. That's what I've seen with my own eyes of the things, uh, uh, people breaking down the visuals. And so, I again, without your review, I'd have been like, oh, this is just an ugly movie. Why, why would I watch it? But your review has, has, has taught me to give it a chance or convinced me to give it a chance. So, yeah, I didn't um, teach I'll, you I'll anything. Be, I convinced you. Yeah. Yeah. The goal of my reviews is not to teach anyone anything. It's to give them a honest 
opinion of which I believe is objective to help them judge whether they themselves would like to yeah. see a movie or not. It's not yeah. to teach anyone anything. Uh, well, look, and, it's not, and it's not so ugly that it's unwatchable. Right. right. And that's, that's exactly the point I was just going to make is I wouldn't use the word ugly. I would use the word average. And I think what they were trying to go for, William, was I think they were trying to combine the, as you said, the 2D and the 3D. I think they were trying to, because it's meant to be Disney 100 and a tribute to Walt, they're trying to have the old style animation with the new style animation melded together in order to show where they they came from and where they're going. Very often they would have the 2D background with the 3D foreground. Um, my wife noted times where they would transition between the two intentionally. And she actually, here's an interesting thing, William. She found that compelling and visually interesting when they would transition between the two. I can't say it really, really did much for me. Um, I don't think it was very visually, I would call it average because I don't think it was very visually memorable. You know, I would use more the Lion King or Beauty and the Beast as my examples of visually memorable movies from the the 90s, Disney yeah. animation, William, when you talk about uh, the ballroom dance scene oh, yeah. in Beauty and the Beast or I Just Can't Wait to Be King from The Lion King. Or, I mean, we could even talk about late 80s, early 90s, Under the Sea from The Little Mermaid, right? These starkly bright visuals and these huge production scenes. Yeah. And I, I think was thinking wish... poor unfortunate souls, but that's not bright. So, <laughs> yeah, it is. But that's an example of one that's not bright. Right. That that's a yeah. that's a because they did have the villain song here, and I yeah. think they did try to do that. You know the the villain song was I thought tremendous. I think if you look at the ideas in the villain song, and they tried to animate it in a way of poor unfortunate souls. When you think about you know the little what were those creatures Ursula turned them into? Well, that's similar to the way the wishes are here, and they tried to make it big and bold there. And I think when people are pulling out these clips, they're cherry picking stuff. And you're missing some of that because in the song, you know, you're a star, which we could have interesting metaphysical discussions about. There are elements that are similar to Under the Sea or I Just Can't Wait to Be King visually there. So that's why I would call it average more than ugly, because we remember how earlier I was talking about people are stuck in narratives. Yeah. I think people are too stuck in the narrative of we need to bash Disney for its woke messaging and the, you know, the whole go woke, go broke and being the uncreative and, and boring approach. As you know, one of our midsiders pointed out to us, it's not that go woke, go broke because people are rejecting the ideas. They're rejecting that it's the same thing over and over again, right? Naturalism is the same story where, you know, this person's going to die. I mean, I pointed that out to my students when we read the metamorphosis, I taught them about naturalism. And in the second part of the story, people were like, this guy's going to die, huh? I was like, well, you learned what naturalism is and this is naturalism. What do you think? And then they talked about how boring the story was. Whereas other English teachers are saying how good of a story it is. So I think people are so stuck in this narrative, especially in the alternative media, because unfortunately what sells is these narratives, 
right? Yeah. You could just continually keep bashing The Last Jedi, which is a terrible movie because of how boring it was, right? The idea of, oh, how how bad Poe is. And nothing happens in that story except Poe is told how bad he is, that plot line. And then the whole, oh, let's go to the Vegas planet and it's evil capitalism. And then the predictability of the Marxist ending of anyone can have the force if they're part of the underprivileged class, right? That's all boring and predictable. And we can, even me just saying that, if that gets out, we're going to get more listeners. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I, you almost went to sleep, but we'll get more listeners from me pointing it out in that way because people are like, oh, yeah, he's right. Blah, blah, bash the last Jedi. And I think people are obsessed with that and they're not seeing wish for what it actually is. Where I agree, it's completely visually average. I think the princess has a good basic design, but she doesn't stand iconically visually or as a fully developed character around even Esmeralda from the Hunchback of Notre Dame. If I say Esmeralda, you can picture her in your head. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ashka, you can't. She's just a Spanish girl. And I've seen the movie and you've seen clips. Now you can picture the star. Yes. Yeah. So I think what we will see going forward as the remnants of this movie is I think it will be the songs and I think it will be the star. And what I mean by that is merchandising wise, I think the star will end up selling a lot in the same sense that finding me, not finding Nemo Lilo and stitch. Would you ever have thought stitch would last this long? Mm. Okay. No, but Stitch has become a marketing marvel. You can put him in anything. You could do so many variations of him, and he has become iconic. I think the star will become that way, and I think the songs will become that way. When yeah. you talk it, about the Wish song, and you talk about You're a Star, and you talk about the villain song, I do think that villain song stands among all the other villain songs in, as a portrayal of pure evil, it stands alongside those. Okay. Well, I'm definitely going to give it a chance. Um, the the last thing I would say that that point about the narrative, I think that's super important, and it's a major takeaway from for all the midsiders out there. You know, it's 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 easier to to see the narrative from the outside, but you've always got to have your narrative detector on because there's there's a lot of good information that I get from some of these alternative media sources, but I have to constantly be saying, like, what's the narrative here, right? Like, what is the narrative they're trying to sell, and what are the facts they're actually giving? Because a lot of the facts are really interesting, right? Um, like, in this particular researching of Wish, you know, basically, we know because of so- social justice, they're firing everyone who's white and male and old and bringing in inexperienced uh, minorities to check the boxes. And there's probably a, a bit of truth uh, at least on the go woke, bro- go broke narrative that they're pointing out here, that getting rid of your experienced writers and your experienced uh, animators means that you're not going to be, no matter how much money Disney spends, they're not going to be able to make as high quality of a movie. And and that's probably what contributed a lot to the lack of animation and some of the underdeveloped story elements. Right. And in the same sense, we don't know where the idea came from, from Wish. Was this somebody that was mandated by someone higher up, right? Peter Lassiter, the guy who did all the great stuff from Pixar in its early days, 
was he involved? It would seem like it would be something he would be involved with. And then did he just not have a good enough team to execute it for these reasons that you're saying? Yeah. Uh, and just on the narrative thing, people could accuse me of defending Disney right now. Because I'm in the Disney bubble, right? Where I live in Orlando and I'm oh, an annual man. pass holder. The Disney bubble. I think I'd rather live in the Disney bubble than the uh, LA bubble. Right. And that's exactly the point I was going to make is that's what the midside is. The midside is, is wherever you are, you're in a bubble. But the midside is to be inside of that bubble, but not be enclosed by the bubble or suffocated by the bubble. And what yeah. I mean by that is... You are inside, but outside on the same time. You're midside. So you know all the narratives, and you're getting all the enjoyment out of it, but you're also not buying into the narratives, and you're aware of what's wrong with it. Now, the LA bubble, I would say there's more wrong with it than the Disney bubble in Orlando. I mean, for instance, let me give you an example very quickly. As an annual pass holder, there are some narratives that people love one it's that the best ride at disney world is living with the land now is living with the land relaxing yes is it a throwback to classic epcot where you go on a slow boat ride and they teach you about man's relationship with nature yes but it's not the best ride objectively people just say this because that's their narrative of what they want to believe to feel superior likewise people want to say that the parks should not have intellectual property in them they're mad that ratatouille has been added to france in epcot they're mad that frozen has been added to norway that guardians of the galaxy have been added and they're mad that intellectual property might also be added to animal kingdom but william hasn't disney's ip been in the parks since the beginning yeah yeah right so these narratives don't make sense so yeah i am in the disney bubble but did i excuse strange world no but people who did excuse it weren't they part of the narrative yeah definitely right so it's the consistency of your own takes and being able to look at the good and the bad and be honest about different things and look, I saw Wish, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. I have to be honest about that. That's all I can do. All right, let's be honest about some movies that are going to come out. And I think this is a perfect example of there's a lot of narratives here that we're going to be negative about, would be my guess here. Uh, I always put the trailers for Terror Takedown in the Discord. Usually it's the Saturday before we record. And so you can watch them whenever you want, before, after, or during the episode. Trailer Takedown. First trailer. The Million Dollar Goal is a documentary on Paramount. Billion. Pl billion. B. Oh, billion. Sorry. It was You're the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> the Billion Dollar Goal is a documentary about the United States men's national team qualifying for the World Cup in 1990. It was an improbable qualification. Uh, they hadn't qualified for years. And then that launched 
soccer as a more popular sport here in America, from us hosting the World Cup in 1994 to MLS being created to the men's national team having a bit more success and at one point getting to the quarterfinals of the World Cup. However, I personally, having grown up playing soccer, having gone to MLS for like the first 13 years of it, having seen the inner workings of this, I am so sick of this story. These people try to make themselves seem more important than they are. Tackle. Tackle. This has no connection to reality, does it? Like, Welcome like to you the United lived, States men's you and I lived through soccer this. team. If, any, if anything, it was the women's team in the 90s that, that really popularized it. And, and it was ASO and in the late 80s that made soccer fun for kids. But it wasn't until the ladies team started doing really well that, that soccer got more, at least in the high school side and even in the college side. I, I, this is all just this is this is uh, narcissism on display. It's propaganda by this narcissistic group of people who have control of the United States men's national team program. Wow. Wow. This is this is this is crazy. It's tackle. Hey, what other movie? Hold on. Before you hit your button. What other movie came out? Do you remember? What do you mean? The uh I forget the name of it. The Thomas Rongan movie by um the guy who directed the the most recent Thor movies. What Wakiti or whatever his name is. Yeah, okay. It's the same propaganda. Trying yeah. to make Thomas Rongan seem like a big shot. Anyone cared about that? Yeah. No thanks. Tackle. Tackle. Second trailer. Ted is a prequel series to the Ted movies that is going to be on Peacock. Here's the thing. When I watch this, my like psychology wants to like it because it's set in the nineties and it's set in high school and it's set in Massachusetts with the accents and everything. So I'm like, I've been waiting for the day when we'd finally have the nineties nostalgia throwback. Like we had with freaks and geeks for the eighties for high school. And it's actually set in Massachusetts. Like I should be the target audience for this. However, I am so sick of the idea of like, oh, every high schooler just wants to smoke weed, get drunk, and get laid. It is not interesting. It is derivative. It's boring. And there's no Mark Wahlberg in this. Tackle. Tackle. <clears throat> yeah, this seems so paint by the numbers. Like, like, is this, is Seth MacFarlane just the executive producer and that's it? Like, is he actually writing any of these jokes? This is just so predictable and cringy and boring tackle tackle third trailer griselda you want to talk about cringy and boring william i'm not even going to summarize this to start with actually i'll summarize it right um now i forgot her name the actress from modern family sofia vergara sofia vergara plays a drug kingpin that's the movie. A female drug kingpin. I literally got bored 30 seconds into this trailer. Tackle. Tackle. Um, this is like the feminist interpretation of like maybe Scarface or something, right? Or some movie like that. Uh, 
is, is the lesson that she's going to learn is that she had the power all along. All she had to do was was uh, look herself in the mirror and say, you go, girl. Don't they actually have the girl boss? She walks like a girl boss as one of the lines. My God. My God. Tackle. Tackle. Fourth trailer. Memory stars Jessica Chastain and Peter Sarsgaard. And I found the trailer to be very, very confusing. I actually had to look up what it's about. And then even when I read what it's about, I had to infer what it's about. So the summary says it's about two people uh, redeveloping their relationship, starting over from square one. And from the trailer, it seems to be that Peter Sarsgaard's character has some sort of memory issue where he forgot everything or sometimes he forgets things. And I'm guessing from the summary that Jessica Chastain was his wife. However, none of this is established in the trailer. It's just all of a sudden she's supposed to take care of this guy. And then it seems like a rom-com where she's falling in love with a dude who has memory problems. I This is... Maybe it's the way the trailer was edited, but it was very, very off-putting. Tackle. Tackle. We're going deep in the tackles this week. Um, yeah, this doesn't make any sense. And Okay, the, I'm glad it wasn't me. I thought I missed the, something. Yeah. From what you've pieced together, th- there could be a premise here that was interesting, but by the way this trailer's put together, it's like they it's like they wanted to show you some scenes. They just picked random scenes from the movie and put them in there, but none of them demonstrated anything that was catching or that showed you what was going on or what the point was. Like I don't know who is this for? Like that that's all I can really ask. So I I I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. It looks terrible. Tackle. Tackle? Final trailer. Furiosa, a Mad Max saga, is a prequel to Mad Max Fury Road, the much-hyped movie set in the post-apocalypse on the road with cars that fight each other and so on and so forth. Uh, Instead of Charlize Theron playing Furiosa, it is Anya Taylor-Joy, who is, is a great actress, and this does look very, very similar to Mad Max Fury Road visually, stylistically. So it it is a obvious prequel to that. However, just like with Mad Max Fury Road, nothing is established in here that is interesting thematically. Look, I will continue to have this controversial take on Fury Road. It is what everyone says Zack Snyder is. It is a purely visual movie that does not have any intellectual depth in it besides Mad Max saves the women who the bad guy and Morton Joe is trying to basically own. I assume there are going to be similar things in here where she rebels, the whole thing is she's just trying to get home. I don't know. This is, this is just... Based on the property and what came before it, it doesn't appeal to me, although I'm sure it will get a lot of hype. Tackle. Tackle. I don't even really like the visuals. This looks cheaper than Fury Road. Does that make any sense, Justin? Like it Yes. I could I felt like I could reach out and touch the green screen. 
it was very like maybe this is just pre you know not not final you know footage or whatever but like it just it seemed like uh it seemed like the worst uh, scenes from uh the Star Wars prequels right where there it was just very dead um i don't know this doesn't look very interesting i didn't watch fury road so probably not for me uh so that leads me to tackle it tackle do we have a sound effect yet for when we no, both we tackle don't. everything we don't we don't have a, ta- a sound effect for that yet well, we both tackled everything. So oh, do you want to man. go first? Or you want me to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. So, uh, you know, I'm tempted to pick Ted just so I can hear the mass, mass hole accent um, and hear some jokes delivered in that. Um, but honestly, I think I could just put on uh, Furiosa just for the spectacle and at least get some sort of enjoyment out of it. I think I think Ted would just make me end up being angry because the jokes were so bad. So, Justin, what 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 one will you have to pick since you tackled that? I just can't do Ted, man. Like, I will watch almost anything that has the Boston accents in that way. Like, there's an account on Instagram where a guy's dating a girl with a thick Boston accent, and he just asks her questions to get her to respond Hilarious. in words that <laughs> em- emphasize the accent. And then he'll says he'll say stuff like, "I don't know Bill Belichick's game plan. I'm sorry." And I'll watch it because it's funny. But Ted, I just, dude, I can't get past the drinking and the obsession with virginity and the the marijuana use. I just can't get past it. And it sucks that now I'm older because now it's like, oh, he's a stodgy old man. But I'm straight edge. I've always been like this. So like you, I like Anya Taylor-Joy. I think she's a great actress. And I do think that Mad Max Fury Road was fun. I just don't think that it deserved the hype it got. And I think Furiosa will also get that hype and probably be heralded as a feminist masterpiece, <laughs> social justice masterpiece. So I think I would get some enjoyment out of it, but then I would also be able to have an informed opinion. So I would pick Furiosa. And I may end How up... How pragmatic of you. Pick it. it is pragmatic. And I may end up watching it if it's the only thing in theaters although his last movie about the genie remember that one with idris elba that was absolutely terrible so we'll see how george miller does yeah all right that brings us to the end of our trip what did we learn william well i learned that uh ai will uh help us summarize but uh sometimes we have to summarize ourselves justin what did you learn this trip I learned that apparently there's no such thing as private property, and when you're not taxed, <laughs> that is a form of federal financial assistance. We so thank you, Florida. You. That, that's assisting your life. Thank you, Florida, for your not killing me. All right, I want to thank everybody for listening. If it wasn't for you, I'd just be a corner. I'd just be a corner. I'd just be a person talking into the corner of my closet like a crazy person. I still am that, but you make me feel a little bit less crazy. Support the show by going to midside.com slash store, picking up some merch, the midside.com slash the cut, picking up my novel, you go to midside.com slash Patreon, the midside.com slash locals, and you can give as much or as little as you want because that is how we keep the lights on. And most of all, if you want to grow the show, tell a female friend. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emmons Nesky reminding you that if things get tough,
take a step back and witness the farce. Have a newsome free day. Did you ever notice that Newsom almost sounds like nuisance? <laughs> well, he anytime he opens his mouth, he sounds like a nuisance to me. Right. So I think I'm going to pull a Donald Trump here and only call him Gavin Nuisance from now on. All right. <laughs>